So with that, we come to the text for today, which is from James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. And um, we notice that in the book of James, um, one of the core messages of James is that um, he, he emphasizes that our faith and our belief must manifest in, uh, in our actions or in our life. Um, so I, I guess there are many ways in which we consider Christianity, right? Some of us, we, uh, it has been defined as a religion. It has been defined as faith or belief or way of life. And all of these are, of course, correct. Uh, but sometimes the, the tendency is that uh, Christianity is often understood as something that happens in our mind, uh, in, in, our, in, our, uh, in our beliefs, in what we uh, trust, rather than the things that are portrayed or manifested in our life. And James comes along and says that uh, that is not so. Uh, our, our actions and our life must be manifested, must manifest our faith. So it's an outflow of the faith that we have internally. And so uh, even today's text uh, talks about one aspect of that. Um, and so without further ado, let me just read uh, James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. I'll read from the English Standard Version. The title says, The Sin of Partiality. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit there in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So really interesting, fascinating, and very practical text that we have here. And I just want to title it as simply, Show No Partiality. And I think the, the, the wordings here is quite fascinating. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, James talks about manifesting our faith. And here we have very clearly as well, Show No Partiality, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Our faith in Christ needs to show needs to manifest. And one of the ways in this in this particular text that we're looking at, one of the ways in which our faith is shown 
is by us not showing partiality. That is one of the ways in which we show our faith in Christ, that we have faith in Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I just want to break down my uh, meditation into two parts. Firstly, uh, reflections on, um, I'm just going to call it, not very creative, but I'm just going to call it family. And second part is going to be on mercy, okay? Family and mercy. Um, it's, as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I came across this very interesting term called diatribe. And some of you who grew up in studying Western philosophy may know this. We didn't really study Western philosophy in India, so this was fresh for me. But diatribe is a genre of writing in which uh, usually philosophers would write dialogues, conversations between two persons to convey uh, a particular philosophy. And um, so there are two fictional sparring partners asking questions to one another or uh, fictional accounts of one another. And in that conversation or in that scenario, there's a philosophical idea communicated. I think you understand, you get the point. And so this is this was a p very popular genre to discuss ideas and concepts. And uh, uh, some commentators point out that James, in chapter two, two, particularly the first few verses, is employing the same kind of genre, a diatribe, in which he's he's talking about a rich man who comes to a church. And he, uh, there's conversations going on. And so there's a diatribe going on. And uh, I came across this very interesting um, diatribe by a, a Roman uh, philosopher by the name of Lucian. And it's not, it's not very important for this text, but I thought it was interesting because he points out a few things that were practiced in the days, in, back in the days uh, when James was being read. Lucian, in his, he's a satirist. And he talks about two types of persons, wise people, two types of wise people. Uh, the first kind of wise people, philosophers, they were characterized by their love for luxury. So they would have these rich patrons, uh, people who pay for them so that they can do nothing. <laughs> they can just sit around and philosophize and throw smart words at one another and uh, just appreciate the, the sheer wisdom of their philosophies. So these uh, philosophers were characterized by their love for luxury and they would sit around pretty much doing nothing and that's, that's all they do, um, live in luxury and comfort. On the other hand, there were these uh, groups called cynics, with a capital C, uh, who hated everything, <laughs> who did not want wealth, who did not pander to the rich and powerful. They would go around correcting everyone, pointing out what's wrong in this world. Um, and yet they do nothing. And so there's one uh, fictional conversation where somebody asks a cynic, um, what do you contribute to the world? And the cynic replied, uh, and I quote, I hold it unnecessary to be a merchant or a farmer or a soldier or to follow a trade. I shout, I go dirty, I take cold baths, I walk around barefoot in winter, and I carp at everything the others do. If some rich man or other has made an extravagant outlay on a dinner or keeps a mistress, I make it my affair and get hot about it. But if one of my friends or associates is ill a bit and needs relief and attendance, I ignore it. And so that is a cynic. And so there are these two types of wise people that Lucian was uh, making satire about. 
And it, it, I thought it was interesting because it seems to connect very well with today's text because James is not, obviously he's not directly attacking these two types of people, but he is talking about something that very much connects to this kind of worldview, wherein uh, the cynics lived in poverty, in simplicity, in almost cynical poverty. They critique, but they do not help. They do not get their hands involved in the problems that they, they are pointing out. James the message of James tells us we need to move beyond cynics, cynicism and the lack of action to actually help our sisters and our brothers in need. So James is ch challenging Christians to move beyond such kind of inaction and to help, actually help get your hands dirty and get um, involved and in helping people who are in need as best as we can. And so my first team, family, uh, it comes from this uh, this message that James is telling us to treat one another as brothers and sisters, to treat one another as the neighbors that Christ taught us to, to see the needs of the neighbors, to see the problems around us, and to meet the needs of our neighbors around us, those around us. And by those around us, it could be our immediate family, it could be virtual community that we're involved in. It could be an organizational community that we're involved in in church or at workplace. Um, James, the message of James challenges us to move beyond cynics, cynicism and to get involved in helping other people. Also, uh, unlike the, the, the group of philosophers or wise people who loved luxury, who lived for under the patronage of the rich, escaping challenges and difficulty, doing nothing but supported by the rich, um, you realize that these kinds of lifestyle necessarily means showing favoritism to the rich and to the powerful because you need, you need to be in the good books. You need to favor them and please them so that they continue to help you. They continue to uh, support you. Uh, James, of course, is challenging us to not live in that manner. Of course, James' critique goes even deeper than that, I think. Uh, and we get, the, we, we get a sense of it when we read the text. And the historical context is that the Christian assembly, the Christian gathering uh, of the readers of James um, were experiencing persecution, were experiencing uh, ch difficulties by, uh, by uh, the authorities, by other uh, people from other religious systems. Um, and it seems as though this cultural trend of showing favoritism to the rich and the powerful, this cultural trend was kind of seeping into the church, into the community of believers, to the point that they were showing favor to only the rich and powerful who can uh, give them patronage. And so when the rich comes in, when the powerful comes in, of course, this is a metaphorical uh, situation, but when the rich would come in, they would be said, they would be told, come and sit here in this good place, in this prominent place. Whereas to the poor, they were, they were relegated to go, come and go and stand over there. It's like they're not even ushered, they just go there in that corner or something to that effect. Or sit at my feet uh, as, as a more, as kind of a derogatory uh, sp space and position. James challenges this kind of uh, attitudes and he says, Friendship in the assembly of believers, in the community of believers, friendship must go beyond benefaction, must go beyond 
profiteering networks, right? To actually caring for one another as brothers and sisters. I think this is a very powerful um, critique of any society, uh, even for in our society today. Uh, it reminds me of what I heard from uh, many years back from one pastor. And just to paraphrase, he said something like this. There is nothing more unnerving or disorienting for a powerful and wealthy person to enter a church, to enter a space where he is respected as one among equals. Because where his money, his power, his connections, and his special entitlements are not considered. And all these things cannot bring him any more attention or any more pandering than any other person would receive regardless of who they are. And so Christian assembly, uh, as James is pointing out here, the gathering of believers must be such a space where everyone, regardless of what we have, regardless of who we are, can be sure to find a place to share, can be sure to find a seat where we can sit down. Or if it's a little too crowded, we can all stand together. So this has to be, Christian assembly is, should be a space where everybody has a seat. And of course, that echoes a family, right? A family is where everyone has a seat, where we are loved, not because of what we bring to the family, but by the sheer fact that we are family, right? Not only gold medalists who bring uh, medals for the family and accolades for the family, but everybody, uh, everybody in the family belongs. Uh, we, where members are not seen according to the benefits or the profits or the advantageous networks that they bring, right? But we are seen as one family. So that's the, the first theme that I want to explore, family. And James is challenging all these different ways of looking at one another through this paradigm. We are called to be brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. The second theme is mercy. So coming back to James, uh, James' uh, critique is more powerful, more forceful, because as I mentioned, Christians were being persecuted. And Christians were, uh, in, in this uh, scenario that we have, especially in verse 6 and 7, he points out that you are persecuted, Christians, you are persecuted, and yet you are pandering to those who persecute you as a way of escaping the difficulties. You are trusting in the patronage of those who persecute you, of those who drag you into court, who make your life miserable, and you are hoping to get on their good sides, on the, on, hoping to get their favors and their generosity from them, hoping to honor them for the favors that they can give you. And James points out that this is a very easy slide into uh, serving our own agenda and our own goals. And he even uses the word evil in verse 4. And my first thought is, ah, that's a little too harsh, evil. Like, okay, like you're showing favoritism, that's stupid, but is it really evil? And as I reflected, I realized that it is evil because, because when, when, we, when we show favoritism, when Christians showed favoritism, they were betraying false security and false trust in riches, in wealth and in power, rather than in God. James 1, James 1, if you remember a few weeks back, tells us that when we go through trials, we need to endure by putting our faith in God, by trusting that God is doing something out of this. When we show favoritism in our trials, 
we betray that we lack that trust in God. We betray, if I may call it this way, a mismatched valuation. Firstly, when we show favoritism, we betray a lack of faith in God and putting our faith in something else or someone else. So it, it comes down to overvaluation of wealth, of power, of riches, of authority, of empires, of governments, over and against faith and trust in God. On the other hand, when we show favoritism, we are also betraying an undervaluation of people, of some people who do not fit the criteria. Uh, it's one thing to respect and love and favor people of achievements, but it's another thing to do that at the expense of others who do not have the same achievements, who do not share that same criteria. And that's where I think things become evil because we make distinctions among ourselves and we use certain criteria to bring down other people, to bring up other people at the expense of other people as uh, who do not fit the criteria. So if you go back to the metaphor that James used, um, metaphor is the seat at the front, the rich and the powerful uh, in, in the scenario is brought to the seat in the front, the prominent place in our society, in the community. I wonder who are, what is at that place in our particular context? Who are the people who are honored and who, who are prominent, placed in a prominent place in our, in our society? And instead of that, who is dishonored in our society? I think that's an important question that we need to reflect on um, in our own personal lives and also in the community that we are and more broadly in the society as well. Who do we honor and who do we dishonor? Who do we say, come and sit here in this seat? And to whom do we say, you go there, you are, uh, your, your seat is there? And I think personally, I, I don't think that it's an issue in, in our church as so, so far as I can see, but I think it's uh, something that is worth considering um, and reflecting on in our hearts. But I think also as a, collectively as a society, uh, I think we, we need to be uh, prophetically standing in our society, standing out uh, as a symbol of um, treating one another in love as brothers and sisters, as a family, and trusting in God instead of trusting in these uh, things that uh, ultimately do not, uh, will surely fail us. Let, we need to remember that it is God's mercy we need, and it is God's mercy that we most value. It is Christ that we must trust. And we have all been shown mercy by Christ. And in, uh, in return, we also show mercy to one another. It is foolish, even evil, to trust anything else besides God and besides Christ. And that really, of course, is the outworking of the gospel. The outworking of the gospel, the, the fact that we have received mercy, we have experienced God's grace, is, is overflows in our lives in the way we treat one another. Right? Uh, it's hinged on our experience of God's mercy for us. So James asks another hypothetical question. Is it really a big deal? As long as we don't murder, we don't commit adultery, these big, big sins, does it matter that we, we show favoritism or not? James says, of course it matters. Because our lack of mercy shows that we are not holding on to the faith in Christ. Our lack of mercy shows that we have not experienced His mercy. 
um, our faith ought to show and manifest in our life. And so, um, as we reflect today, uh, it is our prayer that our lives also will reflect and manifest clearly the, the faith and trust in God and the mercy that we have ourselves received uh, in Christ. Let me pray and then we'll go back and respond uh, in singing. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you because we were the neighbors, the undeserving brothers and sisters that our Lord Jesus Christ loved and showed mercy to. We were the brothers and sisters who did not deserve and yet who are called into the gathering to sit down to be called God's children, to be Jesus' brothers and sisters. And so as people, Lord, who, who have experienced mercy and not judgment, help us to show mercy as well. As we experienced no favoritism in you, in your grace, and in Jesus Christ, we also offer no favoritism to others. Help us to see one another for who we really are, as one who loves God and those who are trying to love God, as ones who are created in God's image. Help us to trust in God's goodness and faithfulness rather than showing favoritism to save or to vindicate ourselves. After all, we believe, Lord, that it is Jesus Christ, the one in whom we hold our faith, who is the Lord of glory, the powerful and rich one who is able to save us. Thank you for the freedom and the power through your spirit to live and to love like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.